This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, April 10th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. What does the future of marijuana legalization look like? In his new book, Weed the People, author Bruce Barcott visits an American industry as it begins to enter legitimate commerce. We spoke about the book yesterday. You live in Washington. As you noted before we started recording, you held your nose in 2012 and voted yes on legalization Mm -hmm. because you had a great great many reservations about it. And just to start, what have you learned since uh, November 2012? Well, I've learned that I, I think, uh, you know, like you say, I, I held my nose. I'm the swing voter on this issue. Uh, I had a lot of reservations about legalization. I'm the father of two uh, young teenagers, not a pot user. Uh, I hadn't used it since college. I, you know, didn't even like the smell of the stuff. But, uh, you know, I, this book is basically a two-year journey trying to answer the question, what did we do when we legalized marijuana? And I think that at the end of the book, you know, I, I took a deep dive into the science, into the medicine of this stuff, and spent a lot of time in both emerging industries in Washington and Colorado. And in the end, I think we're doing the right thing. I think we have done the right thing in both states. Um, we're going very slow in Washington. Things are going quicker in Colorado. But in the end, I think that this is a substance that should not just be legalized, but legalized and regulated. I think we are handling it much like we handle alcohol, and I think that is um, sort of the rational and sane way to go. All right. So there are several issues that uh, where science plays a key role that have really yet to be resolved when it comes to uh, marijuana. One of those is intoxication, mm-hmm. and the other one is the actual effects of marijuana, particularly on young people. And that the, the, those two things, I think, are, from a libertarian perspective, probably the only legitimate drivers of serious debate on mm-hmm. whether or not mm-hmm. uh, the substance ought to be legal. Yeah. So what do we know today about the science of marijuana with respect to uh, what constitutes intoxication or impairment, uh, mm-hmm. more accurately, and what do we know about the effects of marijuana on children versus adults or young people versus yeah. adults? Yeah. Well, we know. In fact, we know more about uh, the second question about the effect uh, of marijuana on young people than we do about intoxication and setting some sort of limit for that intoxication. The science is pretty clear on um, on young people, and that is the, basically. The problem with young folks in pot is that uh, the brain continues to develop and you sort of finish your wiring, you know, from your adolescent years to age, say, 20 or 21. And the body's own cannabinoid system, uh, you can look it up, it's a real thing, uh, helps with the finishing of that wiring, the neural networks that go on in the brain. And marijuana is actually an exocannabinoid. It, 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 it mimics the body's cannabinoid system or the, the, the cannabinoids that uh, affect that change. And so if you're smoking it every day after school, basically you're flooding your brain with this substance that the brain is trying to use to finish that wiring. Um, so that can be damaging. The other part of this is for anybody who is um, vulnerable to schizophrenia, has it in their family, marijuana is, is horribly bad and you should stay away from it. Um, it, can, it can hasten the onset of schizophrenia uh, for that small part of the population that's vulnerable to it. Now, as far as intoxication, we're talking adult intoxication, this is something where we really sort of desperately need solid research to work 
with. Uh, we have, in both states, a fairly low standard for intoxication in terms of driving. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a figure in, in a um, metric that nobody really quite understands. And honestly, nobody really knows what it means. You know, one of the things that I've been trying to do for an article and I haven't been able to do yet is to essentially smoke a joint and then have my blood drawn to figure out what the number is and what it feels like and how those things connect because nobody knows yet. All right. So, and, and the only reason impairment really matters uh, is for the purposes of your interactions with other people, particularly right. on the road. Right. Exactly. It, 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 it all has to do with drug driving um, and the issue of whether, you know, if we legalize drugs driving and therefore accidents will rise or not. Um, the, the, you know, the answer there is that the jury is still out. The data is still very raw. I think the Washington State Patrol reported a few months ago that they had seen a small, you know, an increase in drugged driving. Uh, I mean, it's a drop in the bucket compared to drunk driving. But it is really an interesting issue that people both from the law enforcement perspective and from the perspective of people who consume this product are trying to get a handle on, and we're not quite there yet. A lot of these problems that remain, you're talking, you are talking uh, in this book, it's a first person perspective on what you sense is the future of legal marijuana in America, which is the subtitle of your right. book. And one of the, the things that you point to here, or is just sort of mentioned in passing, is the transition of the rapper Ice Cube from uh, NWA, uh, hardcore, very rough language, very, very right, serious right. themes, to transitioning to becoming uh, a mainstream actor mm -hmm. in films that are for a broad family audience. So right. in that, if marijuana was NWA just a few years ago, um, how is that transition happening? At least it's interesting. Attitudinally it's a, and culturally, yeah. yeah. It's an it, it's a transition that many in the emerging legal marijuana industry are trying to make happen, um, and it's a tough trick to pull off. Where basically, you know. Um, so many of their customers are longtime marijuana users and come from that culture of, of sort of the, you know, the NWA part of Ice Cube. But those companies are also trying to reach a broader audience of mainstream people who might be interested in using this, you know, in a, in a moderate way as an adult. And in order to do that, you know, they've got to offer a safe space to come in and buy, a nice retail shop, this sort of thing, without turning off that core audience. Um, and it, like I say, it's a, it's a tough trick to, to pull off. Um, culturally, uh, you know, we were talking a little earlier uh, before we, the broadcast about how, you know, laws can change, the laws on the books can change, but the social rules that uh, we've been living with for decades really are still in effect, and they're very much so in effect in Washington and Colorado, where you know I'm I'm nobody is is really comfortable you know ha smoking a joint in front of their children as we are maybe comfortable having a glass of wine at dinner. Um, those rules are are, are very strong and uh, will change or be modified slowly over time. Part of that I, I think is. Uh just practical because you don't get drunk by hanging out with someone who's drinking um, and smoking a joint uh, in in the presence of somebody has effects that uh, may 
uh, intoxicate the, the person who's hanging around in, in close quarters right. with you. Who's, right. who's, and, even, and, and those rules, those rules uh, I, I sense that that might not change. In, in right. my mind, I go back to uh, growing up watching reruns of the Andy Griffith show and Andy Griffith sitting on the front porch smoking a cigarette – and if anybody came out to join him on the porch, he put it out. He'd stub it out. That's right. 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 And so, like, was that the rule at the time? And were the 60s and 70s when it came to everybody smoking everywhere mm-hmm. all the time? Did that then uh, – was that a diminishment of this sort of uh, courtesy that people had been it's an, it's an interesting. It's an interesting point because, you know, I'm very comfortable uh, ordering a glass of wine at dinner with a re- at a restaurant with somebody who is not ordering a glass of wine at dinner in a restaurant and enjoying it fully, right, and no, no qualms. But if I am going to, you know, light up a joint, um, I, I, you know, I have, have done so on occasion for this book, I, I'm either going to do it alone or with somebody else who is very comfortable with that and experienced with that and is probably joining me. I'm not going to do it with someone who's inexperienced or, or who, um, you know, is going to be made uncomfortable by that. And that's really where we're still at. Um, it's a very small circle of friends who you're going to be comfortable doing that with. I spoke with uh, some authors of another book on this subject. The book is called A New Leaf. And we talked about the different rollouts between um, Washington Colorado and, and Washington, Colorado. Right. And it seems to me that the consensus uh, – from just about everybody I've talked to is that Colorado did it better. Yes, absolutely. You know, there was a question at, at first of, um, you know, whose state system was going to be the best. And, um, you know, living in the state of Washington, we can see Colorado far, far down the racetrack ahead of us. Um, and really, that was sort of by design. Um, Washington um, sort of culturally was was less embracing of marijuana, um, where Colorado embraced it, Washington allowed it. But Colorado also had a head start in that the state had already regulated its mer- medical marijuana system. It knew the, um, uh, the good players in the space and offered them the first licenses in the adult retail world. Washington State had not regulated its medical system. So we basically threw out, uh, threw open the doors um, to anyone who was interested could apply for a license. And then we drew them from a lottery. And so essentially we gave out our first licenses to a lot of folks who had no retail experience, no pot experience. And so we have, you know, a third of the number of uh, retail shops now that Colorado does. Now, we're here in Washington, D.C. right now, which has uh, recently legalized marijuana. But there is so much uh, property that is in D.C., that is owned by the federal government, where, as far as anyone knows, federal law still applies. Still does apply, absolutely. And, and so much of this, in terms of how Colorado and Washington have been allowed, and that's the word for it, mm-hmm. allowed by the federal yes. government to continue temporarily, yep. because no laws have changed mm-hmm. uh, at the federal level. What is the tension that you see going forward between feds, states, uh, D.C.'s local government uh, as these states liberalize their laws and the federal governments may or may not. Yeah. I think I think the tension points toward Inauguration Day in 2017. Um, that's where the tension is, I think, because the next president, whoever he or she is, uh, will come in and they have a decision to make. Are we going to continue the Obama policy of essentially letting this experiment 
continue? Are we going to dial it back and basically end this? Or are we going to press it forward and have some sort of change in federal law uh, to allow more openness regarding marijuana? We already have some movement uh, on Capitol Hill. I think the um, three senators introduced a bill a couple weeks ago that would federally recognize medical marijuana legality in states that have already passed it. I don't have high hopes for that actually passing anytime soon, but it was a big step. It was a big signal in terms of um, uh, talk, sending a signal about how open you know, the Senate is to talking about and discussing this issue. Whereas, you know, I think even a few years ago, it was still very much taboo um, to open, open a discussion. I, I spoke uh, a while back, this may have been a couple of years ago, with Alan St. Pierre of Normal, and he right. said that there was a popular uh, fake acronym for Normal, which was the National Organization of Rich Marijuana Lawyers, uh, <laughs> because they had, a, a, in some ways, a perhaps a vest, arguably a vested mm -hmm. interest in keeping things a certain way and not necessarily throwing open the doors. And I found that, uh, according to him and, and some others, much of the opposition to full legalization in Colorado and Washington were from people who were selling marijuana as, as a yes. medical product. Yes, yes. It was an, it, it was an interesting issue, um, and it was almost basically a, you know an issue of allowing the perfect get to uh, get in the way of the good, um, where the laws that were going to come into effect or the, the, uh, that were put in front of the voters essentially had regulations that uh, folks didn't like who were already selling marijuana um, legally, quasi-legally in the gray market. Uh, you know, there's a, uh, a certain faction that wants perfect legalization, and that is drop all laws, allow it to be sold openly, freely, with no constraints at all. And those folks had a lot of problems with some of the constraints that were coming in. But honestly, with Colorado and Washington, because they went first, because they were these very risky pilot projects, I think they had to come in with more conservative strictures than we are likely to see in further, further laws um, that are coming down the line in Oregon and Alaska and perhaps even in California. Have you looked at evidence? I know that uh, some people view marijuana and alcohol as complementary goods. Mm -hmm. uh, others view them as rivals mm -hmm. in terms of consumption. Are, have you followed the data when it comes to people either complementing or switching from one to the other? Yeah, there's interest, There's really interesting data on that. Um, the uh, One of the most interesting studies that has come out recently was a study on, um, I think, traffic fatalities. And the finding was that traffic fatalities in states that had legalized medical marijuana actually fell about 9% following medical legalization. That's an interesting correlation. There's not, you know, they can't prove any causation, of course, but it was very interesting and it, and it, and it went back to this idea of a sort of substitution effect where some people, you know, where it's legal or available may be substituting marijuana for alcohol. And um, I think not necessarily, you know, combining the two or pigging back piggybacking one on top of the other. Uh, and I think that's one of the reasons why one of the industries that has the most interest, quiet interest, but they're very interested in watching things, is the beer industry. Because I think they think, perhaps, that, uh, you know, that $20 that's going for, you know, some beer at the end of the week right now could uh, could find a rival in marijuana in states where it's legal. Is, is there any similar... Um 
data on cigarettes or the use of tobacco? Not really. And, and you know, from folks who are following the issue closely, uh, cigarette companies are, you know, watching marijuana uh, legality as, as it rolls out. But they – there's a lot of opinion that thinks that um, – uh, as, as, as one person put it, uh, alcohol is a Dionysian drug. It, it is uh, sort of used in celebration, in social situations, this sort of thing, uh, as is marijuana often. And cigarettes are much more of a, um, a you know, a stimulant and uh, not quite in the same category. It was an interesting argument. I'm not sure that I totally agree with it, but uh, it's, it's a, a, a difference to take into account. One of your remaining reservations uh, – Particularly as it relates to uh, young people, are edibles right? So that it has sort of changed the calculus because, as right. you noted before we start recording, yep. uh, when you smoke weed in high school, you've got to find a place. You've to got go. to find a find a spot behind the under the bleachers by the football field, right? And with edibles, uh, you know, you can pop a piece of candy in class or in the lunchroom. Uh, edibles right now are sort of one of the main flashpoints um, for legalization and regulation. And both states are really trying to get a handle on um, edibles and keep them from becoming too kid-friendly. Uh, the state of Washington actually came through with um, a new set of rules on edibles just a few weeks ago. And, you know, the joke, and not far from the truth, was that basically now they're allowing edibles in the flavors of carrot, rutabaga, and celery um, in order to, you know, not make them too uh, uh, too attractive to kids. But, you know, there's there's a we're trying to find the right combination of, you know, adult adult flavoring, packaging, dosing. And then there's a certain amount of just simple responsibility on the part of the person who's buying this stuff to put it in a safe place that's away from the kids. You know, that's that's part of your job. And there is some parallel there because uh, as e-cigarettes have taken off, the flavors that have been offered in, in many way, in many cases, people who smoke cigarettes are using those non-tobacco flavors right. in order to quit their association right. with tobacco uh, and, and use something that by many accounts is far safer. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But of course, a bottle of nicotine liquid is it's poison. Right, right. There's, there's also, you know, there's an interesting um, sort of substitution effect as well that, that what you were just saying reminded me of, and that is that um, a lot of folks who have chronic pain or PTSD and other conditions are trying to use medical marijuana essentially to come off of a, a regimen of high-dose opiates and opioids. Um, they're trying to, to, you know, they're seeing their, their prescription gradually go up and up and up in, in these opioids, and they're trying to dial that back by using medical marijuana. Um, and, and for some people, it really works. For others, um, you know, they have real concerns about what exactly is in the medical marijuana they're getting, because for the most part, in most states, you know, it's not tested, it's not FDA approved. Are, is there much data on the differing effects of the broad range of strains of uh, marijuana? Not nearly enough. You know, it's, it's well, funny. How, it's, how it's, important is it? Uh, it is very important because people are actually using this, you know, as medicine. I mean, there's, you know, there's a suspicion and, and in certain cases, it's, it's true that basically, you know, medical marijuana is just a, a front for people who want to score weed. Well, for a certain amount of people, that's true. 
But there are uh, a lot of people out there really trying to use it as a medicine to, to control epilepsy, uh, to control PTSD, chronic pain. And they really are sort of desperate for actual data um, regarding what they should be buying and using and, and what is in different strains, levels of THC, levels of CBD, and how that affects their body. Uh, and right now, it's so difficult to study marijuana um, as a medicine that that data just isn't there. I think it's slowly starting to change. The federal government's just starting to, to open up a little bit toward those studies, but it's really still difficult to study. In terms of changes that the federal government would make to uh, how it treats marijuana, either in any, anywhere in the country, where would you rank rescheduling marijuana from Schedule 1 uh, I elsewhere? Think, yeah, I think, I think rescheduling is, is step one. You know, I don't see a bill flying through Congress to uh, legalize and regulate anytime anytime soon, um, but I think rescheduling is the the right thing to do. It will not only you know allow these I think allow more of these state projects to go through. More importantly, it, rescheduling will allow the research to be done. That's the the key blocker for the research is that it's Schedule One, um, and part of the definition of Schedule One that is that it has no medical utility. Well, clearly it has medical utility. I mean, cocaine is not a Schedule One. Right, drug. exactly. Um, but it's still so difficult. It's more difficult to study than cocaine, which is really ridiculous. It's something that has to be changed. Bruce Barcott is author of the new book Weed the People: The Future of Legal Marijuana in America. You can read more on our failed war on drugs at our website, cato.org.